Johnson, author of Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. Karen, thank you so much for being here with us today. Hey, thank you for having me. Um, so to get started, I'm very interested to hear more about your book. Um, so tell us about it. What, what is it about and why did you write it? Yeah, so the book I wrote, um, it came out of my experience with my son's death. So my 27-year-old son, Ben, passed from a heroin overdose. Um, and I wasn't prepared. He wasn't an addict. He went to a party and got drunk. And um, they went out. I don't know why they decided to try heroin, but they did. But he was a big guy, 6'8", and they gave him way too much. And he died almost instantly. So um, before any emergency people could get there or anything. And um, so it just really launched me on a journey. It kind of threw me out of the matrix. You know, I was a Washington DC administrative law judge and a lawyer for many years. And he and I were just very close and I just couldn't cope with it. And I couldn't figure out where I fit in the world anymore, right? It, nothing felt real, nothing felt right, nothing felt good. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I went on this, process of self-discovery um after seeing him he kind of he came to me I was on vacation when he passed and he came to me at the airport and I saw him just like I'm talking to you and so I called my ex-husband and I said you have to check I think he's alive I think he's trying to get out you've got to get to the ME you've got to tell her to open the refrigerator I think he's alive I think he's alive and she very kindly did and said I'm sorry he's passed but that was my big awakening to the fact that there is life after death, there is life on the other side. And so what do you, um, what do you make of that? Do you think you, did you actually see him? Do you believe it was him, his spirit from yeah, the afterlife? For sure. Good for mm -hmm. you. Good yeah. For you. Talking to so many people that have experienced it, it doesn't seem like they come back in that full form where they look like exactly like the person off and mostly they come in spirit form but um at least once or twice they seem to be able to do that right after they pass and and so it, it was great for me to have that experience and then i of course wanted to see more of him and um and then after that you know when i got home and was in the process of the funeral and all of those things i could feel him around me but i couldn't see him anymore and I couldn't hear what he was saying. So I wasn't clairaudient. You know, there's all the different clairs, clairsentient, clairaudient, clairvoyant, you know, all those kind of things. So those are skills that I kind of picked up along the way because I really wanted to see him and talk to him and ended up actually going to see a medium who could actually hear what he was saying. And she said, well, you might have some skills yourself. Um, and then I began studying everything, mediumship and spiritualism and crystals and just everything. But really my goal was to be able to spend more time with Ben, right? Yeah. To talk to him more. And that just opened me up to, gosh, life on the other side, that there is life on the other side and there are spirits on the other side. And um, so, and he has been with me, Ben's been with me on this journey. And I, I really felt, feel like he put me on a spiritual path you know, sometimes we wonder why someone's taken away so young. And, but what if that was their purpose? They did everything they were supposed to do in this lifetime. And then helping the ones left behind to find peace, maybe recreate a new life out of the ashes of the old one. What if they're kind of leading us uh, with sort of what I came to 
the conclusion I came to. Wow, that's a that's a very beautiful takeaway from something very uh, very sad. Um, you know, can can you walk us just through that whole experience? I mean, like I imagine when it first happened, did you experience some of the traditional stages of grief, like sadness or despair? I mean, did you? Did you oh, have yeah. that? I mean, oh gosh, yes. I was a mess. I was yeah. a complete mess. So I mean, I um, I had a, a friend that came and stayed with me for a week. I, I was just numb. I was in shock. I think that's what happens first. You know, it's like numbness, yeah. shock, and then things that happen that uh, you know. So you know, my job. I talk about this in the book. Said, okay, you can have two hours off for his funeral. What? What? Right. You can have the two hours, and I'm like. Are you kidding that, me? That was it. That was it. It, it, it was like, well, then they said, well, okay, you can have a couple days of administrative leave. And then I stretched it out, put, took a couple days. I ended up staying away from work only a week because it was brought, well, you have cases, you know, we have to reschedule everything and you have things due. And, and I was so caught up in this life of mine that I had created of being a federal judge and getting things done and being a lawyer and everything. So I kind of was going, trying to go along with it all, but really going to work and driving in and in the middle of meetings, trying not to cry and running out. And I was a wreck. So, I mean, I would, uh, my house had a second story where the bedroom was. So I, I couldn't make it up the steps. So I would lay on the steps and scream and scream until I threw up and threw up until I threw up blood. Jeez. So it was, you know, I was absolutely a complete and total and thorough wreck. And it, it was by, it was a long process of yeah. getting to the point that I am now. And it's a process of finding um, really, I think, a spiritual path and direction and deciding this life where I'm in the second worst traffic in the country for 30 years and working with people I don't relate to anymore and a job I don't relate to and boxes of um, hearing things, papers, documents stacked up to the ceiling. I just, I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. yeah. I just couldn't do it. I just didn't fit anymore. And the spiritual part, developing my spiritual part and thinking, well, if the Washington Post would get a hold of that, ah, judge is a, you know, pursuing spiritual or spir yeah. pursuing shamanism, you know, <laughs> deciding her cases with her rattle or, you know, it would have just been ugly. Yeah. So it, it was coming, I kind of had to make a choice. And, and for me, fortunately, I could retire. Okay. I was able to retire. And then I was, I put my house up for sale. It was a down market and everything was sitting. Mine sold full price in three days. Wow. And then I had to get 30 years worth of stuff, you know, all the stuff we oh accumulate. And so I love, but the right people always came along at the right time. Oh, try this company, try that company, do this, do that. And somehow five weeks later, I was out of the door and I had been training with Alberto Viodo and the Four Winds Society, and he had asked me to, um, to train with him. And so I had been offered to be an assistant in Chile, where they have their um, retreat center. And so, but I hadn't heard from him. And so I had a, the very last day when I sold the house, I had a sand painting and it closed the sand painting. It was kind of, where am I going to go? Me and my little dog, where are we going? No plan, really. And he called and said, hey, can you come to Chile for a month? And so that was my first wow. entree 
And from there, um, you know, my house sold, my things were gone. Um, my little dog had a sitter and it turned into a half, two and a half year journey all over the world, talking to shamans and, and doctors and all kinds of mystical, magical people and regular, just regular people. Because after all, you know, it's sometimes both. We need both, not just one <laughs> or the other. You know? Right, right. Yeah. So tell me, I mean, tell me about that. I mean, what were, you mentioned this spiritual journey. I mean, what were some of the things that you were learning about yourself? Um, and also what were some of the skills that you were developing along the way? Mm -hmm. So I, I started with the Four Winds Society with shaman training. And so it was really funny how I got started on that because um, um, my friend who is medium said, you know, you ought to talk to this evolutionary astrologer and um, he's really good. And, you know, maybe he can give you some insights on things, you know, life and what to do next. And, you know, this is before I found the four winds. And so he did this reading and said, we are moving away from shame, blame, and guilt and Uranus to Neptune to a mystical path. And I'm like, what is a mystical path? You know, <laughs> like, I, just, yeah. I just don't know what you're talking about. You right. Know? And so he said, well, another woman who had a reading like yours became a shaman. And I thought, a shaman? Are there still shamans in the world? <laughs> yeah. right? I just didn't know. You know, you don't know. You don't know. You just become very confined in our little orbit. Yeah. Right? Our little 10 mile, what does they say? We live within five miles, our little orbit that we sure. go round, round, yeah. round. Yeah. And so, um, so I, what does any good lawyer do? They research it. So I Google this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. And the four winds popped up. And three weeks later, I find myself on a plane to Joshua Tree, California. Wow. Thinking, oh, Karen, what have you, what have you done? You know, oh, this is, this is, you're not, nobody's going to be like you. You're going to be, you know, you're not going to fit in. And, and I thought, well, if it doesn't work out, I'll just go to Palm Springs and have a facial and a, and a massage. That's <laughs> why not <laughs> you know why not yeah. and so but you know it was beautiful it was a beautiful class and um and then I just wanted more and more so I you know the the way you learn medicine will is to go through all the directions south west north east at least that's the Andean philosophy would begin in the south and some of the traditions native traditions here in northern America would begin in the east but it's kind of has the same concept of going around the wheel for healing okay um, and it's associated with archetypes and archetypal animals that are different from culture to culture but kind of have the energy of that help us to transform and so I was really deep into it and and then when I um, finished the medicine wheel, that's when I knew I had to leave home and I needed to leave things and I need to shift things. And um, at first I thought I'll just write a blog, write about my travels. And then the blog turned into a book and then the, the book turned into a spiritual book. And then it turned into this journey of the bereaved. Um, wow. I think, yeah. So, you know, we're very familiar, or some of us are, with Joseph Campbell, Campbell and the hero's journey. Yeah. And Paul Bunyan and his journey. And so yeah. we know about journeying and we know that journeys are transformative. But what was downloaded to me spiritually um, was this journey of the bereaved through transition, resurrection, and rebirth. And 
I take the journey through the medicine wheel using the 16 practices that Alberto Viotto has associated with his version, the four winds version of the medicine wheel. So things like um, non-judgment, non-suffering, non-attachment, the beauty way, these things that we've heard, um, but we haven't really used them to any extent to help us with our grief, especially people who are experiencing stuck stuckness okay. you know deep grief and there's a lot of books that tell us okay this is what you should do next you should you know go make it up go see a movie go on a date go do this go do that that's great this is all in the physical realm yeah but what if what if the reason we're stuck and the reason none of those things are appealing is because we have some inner inner work to do first and if we do that inner work in ceremony by lighting a candle and asking the fire, the smoke of the fire to take our prayers and our intentions, oh. whatever your concept of God is, yeah. we get out of our reptilian brain into our neocortex. And neocortex is the brain of ceremony and beauty. And, and we access that almost without thinking when we walk into a temple and a church, we see candles and we just go up, we light a candle. It's just almost automatic. Yeah. So when we're in that energy, when we're actually moving our brain in our perceptual state, things can move with the lightness of a downy feather blowing in the breeze instead <laughs> of the physical realm where you're like, I can't move, I can't see it. So in addressing, you know, the places where we're stuck, like everybody's stuck somewhere else in their grieving, um, judging who judged us? Who are we judging? Maybe ourselves, maybe even our loved one. I mean, it came to me that, you know, after people telling me, oh, he's in a better place. I, I was getting so frustrated with that. I thought if one more person tells me he's in a better place, there's going to be some <laughs> that's going to happen. <laughs> You're going to be in a better place in a minute. Yeah. That it's, um, it's, it's those kind of things that we say to people who are grieving that really just don't work very well. And also let us know that maybe there's, we have some anger at our loved one. We're judging them. And that's hard to say. It's like, don't speak ill of the dead. Well, he did a dumb thing, right? <laughs> um, how, that was not supposed to be. I was, that wasn't the life where, you know, in my mind. So yeah, we have some anger at our loved ones. And often I hear people say, well, they wouldn't go to the doctor or they refuse to do this. They refuse to change their diet. I should have done this. I should have done that. So we're carrying a lot of noise in our heads. Yeah. And writing can be very cathartic in the way, especially if you write it down, knowing that on little pieces of paper, knowing that you're going to burn them. So you can be radically honest because nobody's going to read it. What do you, what do you suggest people write down when they're, when they're grieving? Yeah. So, so, well, I have the 16 practices that are in my book. So begin with the first practice is non-judgment. Okay. Who are you judging? Who's judging you? So you write it down, you think to yourself, like I felt very judged by people around me. You know, here I am a judge and my son dies of a heroin overdose uh -huh. and people kind of looking at you like, oh, well, you were too permissive. Oh, you worked too much. It's your fault. Ah, oh, jeez. My child would never do that. That's a really good one. <laughs> Meanwhile, they have no idea what their child is really doing. Right. 
my son wasn't the only one that went to the party. He was the only, just the only one that died. <clears throat> so, you know, all those judgments and we carry that and, and being able to release that in a ceremonial way lets us release it cellularly and really yeah. release it so that it's the things that we don't look at. It's the things we press down. I don't want to see that. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. Those are the things that make us sick. And then non-suffering, you know, that's another practice. We suffer because, not because of what happened, but the stories we tell ourselves. So writing down stories like, um, for me, you know, I should have sent him to a different school. I shouldn't have gone on vacation. I should have done this. I should have done that. I mean, I could go back to his first babysitter and said, maybe, maybe it was that when he was one year old, that babysitter, right? Yeah. And you go on and on and on with these stories and the stories and the ruminations that we have. So how do you help people to change those stories? Because a lot of people, um, you know, they might carry that guilt or they think, you know, if I had done, if I just done this differently, then this person wouldn't have died. Or if I had taken better care of this person, maybe they wouldn't have um, completed suicide or whatever it might be. And they, they carry these, these beliefs or these judgments with them on such a deep level. I mean, how do you work with people to get them to change those beliefs? Yeah, you're right about that for sure. And it's really this asking them to ask this question, is that really true? Yeah, I like is that. Is that really true that you had that control and power? Yeah. And that this thing that you didn't do or didn't say that really caused all of it, you know, we tend to make ourselves the center of the universe. Yeah. Especially when we're grieving, it's all on us. We're wrong. We're bad. You know, I can feel myself seem I'm slumping over already, you know, right. you feel all yeah. that. And it's this process of, of challenging it and then taking it to ceremony. Tell us, about, tell us more prayer. about that. I mean, the, the, I mean, you'd mentioned before about the writing and, the, and burning it. Tell us more when you say ceremony, what does that look like? Yeah, let me, let me just read a little bit from this. Sure, thank you. A little bit about it. Yeah, yeah. But I think it says it's just a paragraph or so. So I tell people to start by finding a notebook, a pen or a pencil, a candle, in a small tin pipe, pan, or tray. The pan will be used to catch ashes later in the exercise. In this exercise, you will write honest answers to four questions, then set an intent. That's very important. Hold them to a candle flame and burn them. By burning them, you release them to your concept of God or spirit or universe for your healing. Then allow your heart to open to allow in new ways of filling this newly freed space. So the universe abhors a vacuum. So we're always releasing and bringing in. So we're releasing and then we're opening our heart to for newness. And our intention to release is what's so important. And to give it to spirit, to let it, the candle smoke, carry our prayers and our intentions to spirit. And then in that moment, having that empty space, opening it to newness, new ways. So it's okay. a, it's a process and it's a pro once people kind of get into it, they really, really get into it and they are able to express themselves and express things they've been holding on to for sometimes years. That sounds very powerful. I mean, again, is, is this what you're talking about when you say 
energy medicine for people who aren't familiar with that term? Is this mm -hmm. the process of energy medicine, just releasing this over to a, a spiritual or higher level and then having that internal change through, throughout your body? For sure. It's always that process of releasing heavy negative energy, yeah. energy, you know, things we carry and then replacing it. Oh, with divine light or with openness and opportunity for change. So we're always balancing, releasing with bringing in, releasing the old, bringing in the new. It's like a metaphor for the breath, breathing, right? We bring in clear air, we exhale, yeah. stale air. So that's what we're doing with energy medicine. It's like going, flowing with that metaphor of the breath and breathing is so important. So we know energy medicine, we know that we see it when someone passes because all of a sudden their life force is alive and then they die and it shuts down that electrochemical process. Yeah. And then if you're really um, aware, you can see the spirit rising up through all the chakras and going out at the top of the head. So I'm sorry, go on. I didn't mean to yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, we kind of, know at some level that there is energy there's something when the spirit person is there and then they're not right so we kind of know we just western medicine hasn't really talked a lot about the energy body the luminous energy field that surrounds all of us and how things can get stuck there on an energetic level so you can do all the work possible in the physical realm and still have a lot of issues in the spiritual realm that are affecting. So right. we say it's like a Russian nesting doll. You have the physical body surrounded <laughs> by the emotional body, surrounded by the soul, surrounded by the energetic bottle, and they all talk to each other. So we want to be able to work at all different levels. So when somebody has a broken leg, I send them to a doctor, <laughs> right? right? I just try to yeah. heal a broken leg with, uh, with energy medicine, but maybe we'll look into what's causing them to constantly fall and be so clumsy. What is it that yeah. is yeah, in there? What are they trying to avoid or what are they trying to, um, you know, what is the gain they get out of being, you know, maybe disabled to a certain extent sometimes, you know, there's sometimes secondary gain. So shamans are looking for those sorts of things and soul loss, you know, when something really traumatizing happens to us in our lives, the healed parts of us flee. And in the Indian mythology, they flee to the lower world where they're kept safe. So here we're walking around, most of us, <coughs> like with Swiss cheese, holes missing in our field of parts of us that fled during childhood or adolescence or young adulthood or whenever. So that's really fascinating. So is part of your work as a shaman to help people to reconnect with maybe those um, healed parts that had fled to another realm? Did I yep. hear that right? You got it. Okay. You got that's it. really yeah. fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And are you able to do that through some of these processes that you're talking about or, or are there other techniques? A little bit different, you know, shamans do a lot through journeying. Okay. So shamans kind of remember that equation E equals MC squared. Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. So we always say shamans walk on the equal sign. So we're always between energy and matter. And okay. so journeying takes in us into energetic realms. And so we work in that way through journeying and finding those lost 
soul parts and bringing them back. That's really interesting. And so, I mean, is part, it sounds like part of this is working on more of the, the spiritual realm with people. Yeah. So sure. I'm, I'm also curious too, it sounded like um, you were, and maybe still are able to connect with your son, Ben on a spiritual level. Did I hear that correct? Yeah. Yeah, you got. <laughs> um, well, I, I I tell me more about that. What is what has that been like? Yeah, so uh, you know we have this misconception that once they pass and they cross over on the other side to wherever you think they go, Nirvana or heaven or wherever it is that your philosophy takes them, um, that somehow that's it. They can't come back. They're it's like they're in prison. And I always tell people they're they're not in prison. <laughs> how to come visit so they do visit us right and sometimes we know it we just sense their presence or maybe say oh you know if dad was here he would say and we really Dale's dad is saying it right so you're just picking up on that um or you just feel like someone told me I, I as soon as I think of my dad before they died I said make the wind ch chimes go blow oh, and every yeah. time I think about him the wind chimes and the wind chimes blow even if it's a perfectly still day right so we know that they can come back and forth a lot of times we think we've been so enculturated to think oh a ghost oh it's bad oh this is scary right and meanwhile it's not scary at all so um yeah so ben helps me so i do a lot of work helping transition souls to the other side sometimes oh. souls get a little stuck in between worlds especially suicides and you know, people that have a lot of unfinished kind of business here. And so we can help them to fully cross over to the other side. So Ben helps me with that. And Okay. So that sounds very, very interesting and also pretty intense. Um, I, I mean, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like, what are some of the um, issues and interventions that you use to help with stuff like that? Yeah. So we do a lot of work with um, deathbed so when we're um, at the deathbed of someone, yeah, I, okay. I really help the families to connect. Like, okay. um, who do you need to say, I love you too? I'm sorry, regrets. We want to make sure all these things happen. Okay. And then, you know, do some shamanic work, the illumination type things where we're using medicine stones to release heavy energy so that this spirit can cross over very lightly. Oh. Having said everything they need to say, say all the words, contact people, do all these things. And so once their spirit passes, you know, I'm able to see because I've been doing this for a really long time. I've been able to see where they go. And just like priests do unwind chakras, we do this, we do it a certain way, like a great death spiral. We open their chakras, we send them off. And then we seal them because we want to make sure that their spirit doesn't come back in their physical body. We want them to keep going and keep going off to the other side. And so many different cultures have names. So purgatory or the, the Buddhists have names of these realms where people get stuck in the Indies, the stone realm, the plant realm, the animal realm. These are all places that describe this quality of in-betweenness where oh. you're not here and you're right. not here. you're in between and how can we help people that are in between to become unstuck and to move on and so that's what shamans do too we help them uh, by several different processes kind of lengthy to describe but to help them bring their spirit 
down and help them to then go off. Okay. Thank you. For, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It was very, very interesting. And that's helpful. Um, Cause yeah, I noticed on your website, you offer some different services and different sort of consulting work. Is this the type of, of work and services that you offer to people? Yeah. Yeah. So people who are dealing with any kind of life crises or situations that aren't resolving, you know, a lot of times coming to a shaman is sort of the path of last resort. <laughs> yeah. I've tried everything else, right? <laughs> and nothing else is working. So, okay, let me try the shaman over here. You know, some, a lot of people and some people it's very foreign to, it was foreign to me. Right. I didn't know what a shaman was, so yeah. I totally get it, right? Um, but there's just ways of really helping to people with their grief and to help process things on an energetic level so that then they can begin to function on the physical level. You know, what if the dysfunction on the physical level is caused by not really getting to the root of the energetic or spiritual issues? Okay. So that's where we're, that's where shamans work. And you do the, and part of that process is doing some of the writing, the ceremonies and the, the burning yes. and offering it over to the, their higher power spirits. Yep. Mm -hmm. Wow. We use medicine stones. So I have a, we call it a mesa. It's a okay. shaman's mesa or altar. Yeah. So those stones and those stones we put on different chakras and that helps to release heavy energies. So, you know, the chakras are attached to nerves or attached to organs and hormones. So this whole, whole system of our body, if it's out of balance, then nothing is talking to each other. You know, the adrenals aren't talking to the thyroid, isn't talking to the hippocampus and everything is kind of off. So putting things back online, people can find a profound level of healing that, um, that it kind of defies modern medicine in a little right. bit, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay, right? Yeah, so, I mean- like I both. Um, sometimes now you'll see in other countries, not so much here yet, although uh, the VA is using Reiki, which is in form of energy medicine. They, they, they okay. do. They do. I, I actually work at, as a psychologist at a VA and um, they do offer, they have an initiative to offer holistic health. So they'll offer Reiki, Tai Chi, acupuncture. Some of the, some practitioners even use EFT there. So yeah. um, it has caught it has caught on um and become a little more accepted because you're right for some of these people it really really works and helps it really really works it really helps so um and there's a place in <laughs> um arizona called the sanctuary at sedona they have a, a unbelievable recovery rate for alcoholics and drug addicts and wow. it's run by a man who's actually a shaman and he combines traditional medicine for traditional practitioners with shamanic practitioners. So people are given both. And that seems to lead to the highest rate of recovery. I think it's like 93%. Wow. That's amazing. It's like high, super yeah. high. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Right. So, um, you know, it, combining traditional and regular medicine together really is a way of like that nesting doll. Right. All aspects all the different levels yeah, yeah that's a great that's a great way to do it um and I'm, I'm curious did you have any of these uh skills or, or gifts prior to going on your journey or when you were working as a lawyer like did you notice could you pick up that you were able to do some of these things at times 
No, I mean, when I was a child, <clears throat> I lived way out in the country and I had a, an invisible friend I played with <laughs> and a fairy and, you know, things like that. But my mother always said, don't talk to anybody about that. You know, they're going to think you're crazy. You know, <laughs> don't talk, don't tell anybody. So it was sort of shut down. And then I wanted to be an anthropologist, an archaeologist when I grew up. And then, yeah, all the little girls went around. Everybody, boys wanted to be a doctor and the girls wanted to be a nurse. I want to be an archaeologist. Wow. (laughs) But my parents in those days talked me out of it, said it's just not safe for women, too much travel. And of course, that was before email and cell phones and all these kinds of things. So it was a different world. So they talked me into it, going to law school and getting my, you know, I got a couple master's degrees and then I went to law school. And um, so for 30 years, I pretty much did what was expected. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's, uh, do you keep in touch with any of the people that you worked with as a lawyer? I mean, what do they, have they read your book? Yeah, very few, very few. They probably need to read it more than the other people who are reading it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those things that kind of fell out of touch. A few people I keep in touch with, but not a lot, you know, Um, what, and do you, are you, are you, do you feel like, do you feel much more happy now doing this compared to the work you were doing as a lawyer? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Here I am. I'm living up in upstate New York on a lake, you know, with very few people around the biggest track. If four people come, we have a one four-way stop in town. And if four people are at the stop sign at the same time, everybody like, what do we do? What do we do? (laughs) So I'm I'm out of traffic and I'm, doing work that I, I truly love every day. And it's so funny. I have cards that were given to me by Hay House. They were Helen Hayes cards. So I don't know if you can see this, but it says, I am deeply fulfilled by what I do. Yeah. By what I do. So this card, so we're, I like to use cards too. This yeah. just fell out one day. It just fell out of the box. I don't know how I don't remember you know, opening it. I remember opening, but I don't remember going through the cards. So I have that up. And I think I am deeply fulfilled by all that I do. And oh my gosh, how, what a precious thing that is. Yeah. How many people can say, oh my gosh, I am deeply fulfilled by all that I do. I love working with my clients. I love teaching with the four winds. Um, this writing a book and having it published by Hay House. That's oh my amazing. What yeah. a dream. So right? I'm so I'm so curious. Can you can you share a little bit about that? I mean, Hay yeah. House is one of the best publishing companies for holistic health in the world. I mean, so how did you go from? You it know, still gives me shivers. Yeah. Uh, so so they, how did, how did that happen? So they have um, writing seminars about maybe twice a year. They used to have it in person. Yeah. And I actually went to Texas to um, a class. So it's like a a workshop, a okay. workshop. Now they have it online, and so. At the end of the workshop, anybody who attended the workshop can apply to win this um, prize. Grand prize is um, is getting your book published and wow. $10,000. And there's second and third prizes too. <laughs> so I um, went to this thing and I'm like, I'm going to submit this. So I'm busily doing this. You know, I've got to get it, putting it through some people to help me editing and um, someone to even actually look for cultural sensitivity. Cause I said, you know, if I'm sounding, sounding so white that it makes your eyes roll back, <laughs> please let me know. So I can fix it. It's <laughs> funny. 
Yeah. You know, so I had it reviewed. I had all this. And then I, I submitted this thing. And, you know, as I'm writing it and as I'm finishing it, I kept thinking to myself, I'm going to win this. I just wow. like I do. Wow. I'm going to win this. I'm going to win this. I'm going to win this. And, and I won. <laughs> that's <laughs> I won that's, that's awesome. A publishing contract, you know, and first book. And it, it was just amazing. It's just been such a beautiful ride. They're a wonderful company and, and they're wonderful to work with. They send you a gift every, every Christmas time. And so this year I got those cards and, and that one that I, I pulled up and, and, and I thought that's it. I'm deeply, deeply, not just fulfilled, but deeply fulfilled. That's wow. That's wonderful. So I, I don't know, this is kind of a, maybe a common question or maybe not, but you know, what advice would you have for people who are maybe doing good work? I mean, they're d- doing good, important work, but they aren't feeling fulfilled, um, but they're maybe they're afraid to take that leap for whether it's financial reasons or just psychological reasons, or they're just feeling like, you know, I, I don't have that fulfillment I want. And I'm kind of afraid to take that leap. I mean, what what advice would you have for them? Yeah, so what I was advised, and it's um, sort of Alberto Viodo has coined this phrase, dream your world into being. Like, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> right? But we do, you know, we, we have a lot of power to make things happen, make choices. We don't think so, but we kind of create our reality around us. And we usually do it out of Newtonian physics. A yeah. plus B equals C. Okay. And so sometimes we do slightly to say, well, okay, that was pretty good, but I'm going to up it a little. So we're still doing A plus B plus C, but we're just trying to make it a little shinier, a little better, but we're really not getting big, big, big results. So what I ask people to do is to have the big dream. Dream what everything you would love to have, that feeling of abundance, happiness, joy, um, love, meaning, purpose, you know, not exactly I want to be the CEO of IBM because that's, you know, I'm not sure that's, that's it. Let the, let the, but the feeling of what it would be to have everything to really to be able to say this, I am fulfilled in by all that I do. Right. Yeah. To really be able to say that, what would it feel like? And this is a little bit of Joe Dispenza too. Joe Dispenza is a great yeah. author. Yeah. Um, and, and so a little bit of his work too. He does a lot of this too, dreaming and, and, and being kind of outside of your body and dreaming these big dreams. And so how would that feel and bring that to your heart? And then dream a little every day. This is your little daydream. Yeah. Yeah. And not even tell anybody, because if you told somebody, they'd say, <laughs> how are you going to, you don't have the money, you I don't know. have the right people, you yeah. don't have anything, you know, how are you going to do that? So that was my big dream. My big dream was to be an author and a speaker and a teacher. And how am I, what am I going to do? I just quit my job as a judge. I don't know anything <laughs> about anything. Right. Yeah. And that was my dream. And so we can make these things happen and we call it quantum leaping. So we're getting out of the past, out of the way we used to do things. We're quantum leaping to the future by this dreaming and we're bringing that in. And then we begin to see opportunities and synchronicities instead of obstacles. That's a great, yeah, yeah, that's a great way to look at it. That's the best way to do it is allow yourself to dream. Most of us talk ourselves out. Oh, how would I make that happen? And we get all caught up in the steps. Well, what would I do? What would I do? So the best dream is one where you have to let go because you don't know the steps. You don't know how to make it happen. Everybody told me, how are you going to get a publisher? You'll never get a couple of it. You're never going to edit it. Yeah. You'll never get a 
publicist. Yeah. I have all those things. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, but I, that was my dream. And I just, you know, find people can talk all the way up, but this is my dream. And I'm sticking with my dream and bringing that in every day and thinking how fun it would be. I wanted to have a house in the, in the woods to write. And I'm in the woods in my little house writing <laughs> and that's, teaching. That's great. So, so dream, don't, don't talk yourself out of your dreams. Just dream it. And let the universe fill in the details. And so, you know, I always say when we fill in the details, it's about this big. When we allow the universe, <laughs> right. it's unlimited. Yeah, yeah. So you want to tap into that unlimited power of the universe and the power of creation, the power of creation that we all have within us that we forgot we've gotten so ground down and lost in sadness and misery. And um, look, these are really tough times. 70% of people have suffered loss. Yeah, so I appreciate you acknowledging that, especially in the context of trying to pursue your dreams. You know, what would you, you know, without going into too much, you know, detail or into the weeds, but, you know, there are people out there who are suffering and sad, you know, and dealing with true, truly difficult situations. You know, what would you say to, to someone like that who, you know, the idea of dreaming, like they're just, trying to survive like yes i mean exactly. would you would your advice still be the same to them like you know even though you're sad and, and, and suffering still create that space and time for you to dream and you know if so how does how does someone like that deal with their sadness or the suffering they're they're currently dealing with yeah sometimes i think we have to just sit and be and allow ourselves to feel it i mean i certainly was in a bad way for yeah. about a year and a half before I went on my journey, really bad way. And allow yourself to realize that this is a journey through loss, despair, hopelessness, grief. You're on a journey. <laughs> the journey is yours. And nobody has the right to tell you it's time to move on. Don't think about that. You know, there's no win in loss and grieving. So if you're, if you get too depressed and everything, they say, oh, that's, she's really not doing well. She needs help. And if you're not suffering enough, or it doesn't appear like you are, oh, she clearly doesn't care. So you can't win. Yeah. So you might as well go on your own journey. And, you know, for all the people that feel very stuck and feel like everything's been taken away from them, I think about this one man I heard of, so an immigrant guy with basically nothing. So his dream every day was to see his children um, go to college and be married. And that's the picture he kept in his mind that going to college or getting married. And every one of his kids went to college and got married. So even in the harshest of circumstance, find what is your dream? Yeah. Hang yeah. on to your dream because it's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very uh, touching and I think a good example. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And how many kids, you know, from the worst circumstances, kids that were lived in homelessness and poverty, but they had that dream. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to win a scholarship. I'm going to, you know, and they held on to it, even living on the streets, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we don't teach children enough about that, finding that big dream and right. the feeling of it, right? Maybe not the specific, well, I don't know what I want to be. You don't have to know what you want to be, but how do you want to feel? Yeah. I want to feel safe. I want to feel, you know, loved. I want to feel, you know, um, like I've got meaning and purpose and I'm doing something really important. Right. right. So 
bring that feeling. I want to do that. Yeah, I like that. That's a really, that's really well said. And I think also really important because yeah, some people might not know what they exactly what they want to do, but if they can get in touch with that feeling state, that can be a very powerful motivator um, yeah. and help them to, to move forward. Um, we, um, we have covered a, a, a lot of topics tonight. And we I, also, did. I mean, this has been really fascinating, but I also, you know, your, your book is so rich and so deep. Was there, was there anything else in your book that you were hoping that we could touch upon tonight? Oh gosh, there's so many things, but I think the two things, first of all, that it's a grief is a journey, grief and loss, and it's your own personal journey. Yeah. And so and there are ways to walk through this before you get to the part of, okay, I'm going to go on a date and I'm going to go to a movie and do all that. Maybe there's a little bit of preparatory work that you can do. Right, right. And then, and then the second is, you know, we always say suffering is optional. Pain is optional. Or <laughs> pain is real, but suffering is optional. Right. So at the five-year mark, even after I'd written the book and done the work, I just got knocked over by grief with my son. But the difference was, it was things like, he's not here. He's, you know, I'm going to always miss that and not having the grandchildren and all that. And it's painful, but I wasn't knocked over by old stories. Yeah. I, think I didn't do enough. I should have done this. You know, it was just sadness. There's, there's pain but without the suffering. Yeah. And I, I think, is that consistent with what maybe what you talk about when you talk about like non-judgmentally accepting that we're sad, you know, we're, we're sad or grieving, yeah. but we're not going to judge ourselves for it. We're just going to no. accept that, you know, I, I am a human being. I am going to feel sad. I am going to, you know, miss this person and to just, like you said, allow us to have that feeling and, and sit with it. I mean, is that, consistent with some of the things you try to, to talk about? Yeah, because, you know, I've heard this saying, and I think it's so true. So pain is the price of love. Yeah, yeah. So we, we love deeply, and it's, yeah. it hurts not to have them in physical form. Even though my son comes back and forth, it still hurts not to be able to hug him on his yeah. birthday or right. make a cake, right? Yeah. Stupid little things that you want to do that, you know, um, so the pain is still there, but the suffering, the stories where I would just make myself sick yeah, with self-loathing or, you know, anger, fear, you know, all those, those, those are gone. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really well said. And, um, it's like, you know, I've heard other people talk about when they grieve, um, that sadness just reminds them how much love that they have for that person. And then, you know, from a spiritual perspective, that, that love is, is still there. It, it hasn't gone away. So, I mean, again, is that some of the, is that consistent with some of the things that yeah. you're talking about too? And, and that, you know, we don't, they already know how much we love them. We don't need to demonstrate to them by staying stuck and small and keeping a shrine and doing some of the things that we do for years and years and years. We don't need to prove to them that we love them. They already know. Yeah. As we stay stuck, because they see us on the other side and they know what's going on, they're not as free to do what they need to do on the other side. 
Oh, so you, you mean literally like if they see us like being stuck, it may it, it, they they become more stuck themselves. They become more stuck. Yeah. So you oh, know, okay. it's like we're it's as above, so below. The yeah. journey they're taking and the journey we're taking mirrors each other. That's really and interesting. We refuse to move. I, yeah. I, you know, this would be, I just the other day had a conversation with, with someone about the different um, realms of, of the afterlife in heaven and how the soul continues to grow and evolve in those realms. Um, and so it sounds like, you know, if we're stuck, it might prevent them from evolving and growing through some of those realms. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so in that, in that I have um, on my website, eight things spirits on the other side, wish you knew that's, <laughs> oh. one of them. that's from downloaded from Ben. He, you know, he has, oh, but, wow. Yeah. So tell so, us what, is, so what is your website? What is your web website address? Karen, K-A-R-E-N, Karen Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N.net. Okay. And, and so that, you can sign in and get, you know, um, monthly newsletters and interesting topics and, you know, things like that and blogs and. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. It's got a lot of good stuff there. Um, yeah, thank you. And um, is that, can we get a copy of your book there too? Yep. You can click on and you can take you right to Amazon. You can get it in Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. And can we see this is what it looks cover? like? <laughs> yeah. I was just going to, I was just going to ask you, cause I always, I saw that now. Okay. This, I might be wrong here, but is that, is that a Phoenix? That's actually, an, it's an eagle because eagle medicine in the Indian tradition has to do with that higher place, that place of becoming. Okay. Um, and so gold, and this is alchemy. So it's alchemizing, you know, turning, you know, alchemy was turning base metals into gold. Okay. So this is a little metaphor on turning starkness and sadness into joy and happiness and richness. So alchemy, alchemizing our grief. And, and we know that other forms of um, uh, situations have energy like marriage and yeah. um, parenthood. And we know it's transformational, but right. our society, death, we don't want to look at that. But death too has transformational energy. It has a tremendous amount of energy to tap into. And if you tap into it, instead of staying stuck, then you can recreate and be reborn and create a new life that honors your loved one. Yeah. And it sounds like, it sounds like that's what you did um, throughout this journey that you went on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's for Ben. And, but I think he, he led me there too. So that's, that's beautiful. So yeah. Well, Karen, thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom with us. I mean, it's such a, can be kind of a heavy topic but you brought a lot of inspiration and joy to it so uh thank, thank you for you. sharing uh sharing your time and your wisdom with us hey thanks for having me <laughs> <laughs> all right well this is uh this is matt welsh with spiritual media blog and today i've been with uh karen johnson author of living grieving using energy medicine to alchemize grief and loss. Karen, thank you again so much for being here. This was a, a great conversation. Thank you. <laughs>